Jeffrey, Brooklyn. Well, you know what that music means. That music means it is 6.02 and 8 seconds here at RadioFreeBrooklyn.com, which means you are just about to listen to Sitting with Jan Luca. I'm Jan Luca. Sitting with me today, I'm really, really thrilled, actually, because this is a, a, a special day for me. Uh, I'm going to get the introductions wrong, so my guest will complete it for me, but uh, trans activist, long-time folk singer award-winning folk singer right thank you right absolutely you're welcome um maya burn mia burn i'm sorry oh I it's keep... all right it's all right yeah i know i get my steens and steins mixed up i get a lot of things wrong but frankenstein frankenstein <laughs> yeah frankenstein exactly frankenstein <laughs> but award-winning i would have to say veteran actually because you've been doing this for a couple of decades right oh uh, it's getting on <laughs> getting on let's uh you know since I was five, yes. Okay. Oh, since you were five? I'm just kidding. No, no, no. But since you were when? Probably pretty young because you know, you're pretty young now. Um, yeah. When I've been doing this um, professionally since I, w- I, mean, I started playing music out uh, professionally in about 2003. So it's been, a, it's been a good long spell. Okay. Well, well. Mia, thank you for sitting with me. This it's is my really pleasure. Um, before we roll our sleeves up and get into this, we should just play something of yours, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm going to queue up. I'm going to queue up Fault Line. Do you want to say anything about this song? Yeah, this is uh, my most recent single. It's on Spotify, and um, it, it won Best Folk Song. At the Trans Trenders Music Awards, which is the first ever uh, music awards show dedicated to trans and gender nonconforming people, um, just a few weeks ago here in New York City, uh, which is where we currently are, and um, it's uh, it's about my life in California, but about a whole lot of other things too. And I hope you like it. Oh, absolutely! All right, so uh, here it is, Fault Line. Boom. Standing on the 
wonderful that is fault line by my guest sitting with me today here on uh, this evening here on sitting with jan luca mia mia burn and uh wait what awards did this get this is a award winning right yeah this one the um this one uh best folk song at the inaugural trans music awards which was a 
is the first uh, music award uh, specifically dedicated to trans and gender nonconforming artists. Mm-hmm. And it was actually the first award of the night, which was pretty special. Um, I got to go up on the podium and hold silence for um, for my for our friends who we've lost, and it was a pretty powerful moment. Um, yeah, and I'm hoping they, I'm hoping it, it has legs. Uh, people seem to be digging it. I have some friends who have been um, reaching out. People have been covering it. Um, my co-writer Neil Eckstein plays mm-hmm. it plays it out as well, and. Uh, He's got his own version of it, uh, and it's a little different. But um, uh, yeah, it's it's great. If you have a Spotify playlist, please add it to yours. I would love to get the I would love to get the play count up. Uh, it's it's had quite a few plays already, but it could always use some more. <laughs> yes, we could all use some more. <laughs> you know. But, oh, so so do you co-write more, or do you uh, do you like to write solo? It, it's both. Um, one of the things that I like to do a lot is that um, I have, I have um, some. Oh, we're feeding back. Just right, a, we're good. All right. So um, uh, maybe it's these. Maybe these headphones are on or something. Maybe that's what's causing it to feed back. Yeah, we're, I can't hear. Yeah, all right. Cool. Um, I one of the things I like to do with my songwriting friends, like some people get together and they're like, Let, let's go to a bar and watch a football game, or let's go, let's go, you know, let's go skateboarding. I, I get together with my friends and I'm like, let's write a song. Hmm. So when we're not doing something externally musical, like going and playing a gig, it's really nice to sit there with a friend, um, either a new friend or an old friend, and just be like, hey, let's try writing together. Neil specifically has become um, a person that I've written with more than anyone else. Um, uh, of recent note, um, he and I just found kindred writing with each other and we tend to get, we tend to pull some pretty deep stuff out of each other. And then, um, in my old band, the Ramblers, I co-wrote with a few different people. Um, most of my solo stuff though, I do write by myself and, and that was a thing that, uh, was pretty much drilled into me by, uh, this, our, our mutual friend, uh, the, the departed Jack Hardy, mm-hmm. who really didn't necessarily approve of co-writes. And ah. <laughs> oh, go on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and, uh, and so at the same time, I love co-writing. It's, the, it's the most wonderful thing. And so, so wait, uh, let, let, let me, did you, do you mean that when you're writing for yourself, for solo guitar, you write by yourself? And if you're writing for a band situation, you co-write? No, um, I actually, so I generally write a song every Monday, sometimes more, sometimes less. But usually I, I try to write a song. I try to write at least four songs a month and more than that is great. They're not all going to be great songs. And that's sort of the theory of the songwriters exchange that Jack Hardy founded back in 1975 with folks like Suzanne Vega and Brian Rose and all these other folks. Um, David Massengill, Frank Mazzetti. Um, and, and so I don't, one of the things Jack taught me was I don't, I don't usually write with an instrument. Sometimes I'll get a musical idea and then I'll go off of that. But I usually, I'm a, I'm a lyrics first kind of person. And what Jack believed is that a good song should stand on its own under any instrumentation. So oftentimes what I do um, is I try to make my songs 
since I play in so many different lineups, I'll play with a band, I'll play with another friend, I'll play by myself. I try to make the songs accessible on all accounts. I don't want the song to be dictated by the by the arrangement. Mm. I want to be able to arrange the song in, in any different kind of way. Depending know? on the lyrics, you mean. Exactly. So right. like like Lucinda Williams and Nick Cave and and um and and uh and Neil Young do that as well. And so for me, what winds up happening is that and the thing that I picked up from Jack was I came right out of music school and started going to the Songwriters Exchange in about 2002, 2003. And I would write these super complicated songs. And one time he just pulled me aside and he's like, look, write a song when you're walking down the street. Write a song to the beat of your feet. Write a song when you're in a car. Remember it. Have a notepad with you and get that melody. The melody and the words are the most important thing because that was the bardic tradition. That's mm. how you passed information along. And, and then he said, you'll often find that the chords that you wind up choosing to harmonize that melody are a lot simpler than you would have necessarily chosen. So any of the songs that I write can be harmonized or changed around or played over in all sorts of different ways. And that way, I, I kind of think like jazz music, uh, a lot of which... In popular songs, I'm I'm really well versed in the American Songbook. I love Cole Porter and stuff like that. And of course, some of that stuff is 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 rather complicated when you play it out. But when it, you come down to it, it's really just a melody and the harmony around it, and that's the most important thing. So, yeah, uh, yeah, no, no, and often the simplest stuff. I mean. I keep thinking of Guy Clark, who, mm-hmm. who uh, great writer, wonderful writer, uh, who who never really wrote particularly complicated songs. I mean, his songs was "Man Walks into a Bar, Has a Drink, and Leaves." Kind of. I mean, there was no real particularly. Flowery. That's my that's my favorite Guy Clark song. "Man Walks into a Bar and Leaves." Kind of. <laughs> well, that's a lot of Guy Clark songs. <laughs> he, he and now I interviewed him a few times, and he told oh, me something wonderful. really. And yeah, I interviewed him a few times. Uh, the late great Guy Clark, legendary song. I mean, a, an amazing song. We're going to get to Jack Hardy, actually, because mm. uh, uh, I think he should be bigged up, too. And I remember him telling me um, that about song about co-songwriting. And, you know, he, he wrote his own songs. He never really co-wrote until the last maybe two or three records. And he said that. The nice thing about co-writing as opposed to solo writing is that when you're solo writing, you don't really know that a line works until you sort of pace the floor and have a few cigarettes and have a few drinks. Mm-hmm. And like you pace the floor up. And but when you're co-writing with someone in front of you and you come up with a line, you know it works immediately or you know it's bunk immediately. Mm-hmm. Like like there's an instant. Uh, um, and, and I want to, because we're going to be probably talking quite a bit about the art of writing song, uh, uh, songs, I imagine. You know Chris Smither? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so Chris Smither had a wonderful thing, kind of similar to what Jack Hardy told you, where Chris, Chris Smither said, um, I asked him about, stream of conscious you know there's some songwriters that write stream of conscious Uh you don't really know what they're talking about it's kind of like (laughs) there's a lot of rhymes and you can kind of interpret it any way you want and his answer was wonderful his answer was um yes for me stream of 
stream of conscious songwriting is when you don't want to commit to what the song is about, <laughs> uh, which I love that uh, explanation. And then he said, you know, like if I were a painter, you know, I could just do a lot of dots on a canvas and eventually it will look like something. But, but his, his thing is kind of what Jack Hardy uh, told you was, you know, if you have something to say, say it, make it rhyme and you have a song. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's that simple, but it's bloody hard, but it's that simple as well. Um, do you want to talk? How, how should I introduce, uh, you know, when 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 people think about village folk? We all go back to the 60s, right? And Dylan and Dave Van Ronk and all that. But there was the 80s folk music. Yeah. And you can correct me if I'm going to try and introduce Jack Hardy and you can take on uh, after me because you actually sure. knew him. And then in the 80s, there was like a fast, there was another song, Greenwich Village, village songwriting scene that revolved around Jack Hardy, correct? Do you want to take it on from here to tell us who Jack Hardy was and, and, uh, Jack's Jack Studebaker Hardy. Uh, what what can you say about him? Uh, a lot of people lionize him and put him up on a giant pedestal, which he would have hated. Yeah. Um, he was and continues to be um, a, a huge influence on American folk music and and all folk music really. And he's a songwriter. Songwriter. He helped nurture the career of many people. He. Suzanne Vega being one of them. Absolutely. And uh, Suzanne used to come to the exchange uh, quite often when Jack was alive still when I when I was part of it. And it was so funny. I, I remember criticizing Suzanne once on a line that I didn't like. And she's like, sometimes you have to use lines like that. And then like four weeks later, I heard it on the radio. Oh, what was it? What was the song? I, I uh, it was uh, it's it's a song that she wrote um I think for 99.9 Fahrenheit degrees of uh, that that record. It's uh I, I worked it's on called that. Frank and Ava. Okay. And I she, worked on that record, actually. Oh, did you? Yes, she, rhymed, the, she recorded it at the Magic Shop. Yeah, she, she, rhymed, she rhymed fire and desire, and I was like, hey, Suzanne, I don't want to tread. And, like, you know, the thing is, you know, it's like, you know, she's, she's pretty self-effacing, a very nice person, as you know. Yeah, and, yeah, like, yeah. and so I said, I was like, you know, we've heard fire and desire before. And she just looked straight at me and was like, yeah. Sometimes you have to rhyme fire and desire. And she was right. <laughs> and I was a cocky little fuck. Oh. Oops, that's all right. Oh my gosh. Nah, it's all right. We're good. All right. We're all over 18. I'm over 18. Oh my lord. <laughs> so um so am I was that a right introduction? Because there was like a folk revival in the eighties around and that revolved around Jack Hardy, right? Uh, a great bard. A, a bard in the truest sense of the word, in in as much that he really he really studied the art of narrative storytelling or not necessarily in song form, but I mean, he could really talk about the narrative in, in like Greek mythology and how just how people told stories Absolutely. And, and transposed it to music. Yeah. His, um, his, something I found out after he died, um, was that he was dyslexic. What? Yeah. No way. Yeah. And um, it wasn't widely known. Only a few people knew about it. And part of the reason he started the Songwriters Exchange um, was to give himself accountability. Um, because when you have accountability and you have a place to be every week and you have an assignment, you tend to write things in the background, like, you know, like a computer doing processes in the background. And he And he would talk about brain work in that way he would talk about you got to get it in the computer you know he 
he I would watch him practice sometimes when I'd be up at his place and we would like sit around the kitchen table and work out stuff. And he was a voracious reader, but um, he had to teach himself how to do that. And I don't quite know all of his coping skills, but he, he, he came up with the idea of, of that I've stuck with in, in many different kinds of situations that your brain is a computer and you have to compartmentalize certain things. You have to, you have to embed data and which was a very interesting thing for him to say. Um, but he, he would, he would sit there and, and just, and push these things into his brain and remember them. And it was amazing to, mm. to witness that and, you know, to not necessarily know what I was seeing. And of course I don't know him. I didn't know him as well as, as half of my friends did. You know, I, I was lucky enough to be, close enough to him to play in his band and to be, you know, part of the, part of the family, so to speak for, you know, a good chunk of time. And, 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 uh, he really, he, he really respected and studied the mystical art of songwriting. Mm. And he would talk about the bardic traditions and how that's how you, that's how information got passed across. Like I said, and, uh, and and just all of these mythologies, he was very influenced by um, a book called, I think it was called, the, I want to say it was called The Golden Bough, um, uh, and The White Goddess, and all of this really cool, mystical, witchy stuff. And he was into that stuff. It was really neat. And it was, he was a, it, it was very powerful to be in his presence. Um, and so... As a teacher, that's what he passed on to me was this this want to keep learning and that sort of humility. Um, and I don't I didn't know, you know, until much, you know, much, much, much later in his, you know, after he died, you know, that just he, you know, he 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 was very open about having grown up a child of privilege. And then sort of rejecting that privilege and was very proud that his music put his kids through school and that he was able to support stuff, all of his children and and his life from his music and not necessarily taking family money Mm. and and stuff like that. And I don't know all the ins and outs of that. And I don't really, it's really not my place to say, because I I really don't know all about that. All I know is that um, he taught me how to be a starving artist <laughs> and not to starve. It's like, oh. it like, you gotta, you gotta go to the grocery store right after Thanksgiving and just get a turkey, just get turkeys. They're 79 cents. <laughs> they're 79 cents a pound. <laughs> yeah. You got it. You know, and we would just, I uh, would go up to his house and, and in Calicoon, New York, and he would have bread rising on the stove and he'd get up in the morning. I, I could never beat him to be awake. And, I just have this one very distinct image of him in, at his house in uh, in probably October of 2003 or 2004, and I was just up there performing with him. And I wake up, and there's nobody in the house, and the bread's rising on the stove, and I walk outside, and there's mist on the ground, and the autumn leaves are falling down, and he just emerges out of this bank of fog. And... I'm just like, this is a dude. This is one heck of a dude. 
Hysteria. Well, how many songs did he write? He wrote a boatload, right? Do you I, know? I, I mean, mean was he I don't always know. writing? He was always writing, and um, and so I, I couldn't speak to that. Thousands of songs, but he would tell you. And this is and the whole point of writing a song every week is that when you get into the habit of writing songs, you will, you'll, you'll, at the end of any twelve month period, you'll probably have out of those fifty or so songs you've written, you'll probably have you know, 10 to 12 good songs. That was his working theory. And that's, so he would release an album pretty much almost every 18 months um, for most of his life, um, to every, 18, every 18 months to two years, depending. And and that that was, to me, one of the most interesting things is that, and that was the whole thing about Fast Folk. It's like, make this music, get it out. And the Fast oh. Folk scene came out of that. And so Mark Dan, who's a producer-engineer, was one of these folks, he, and he was like, well, I know how to run a tape recorder, and they put out the Fast Folk Musical Magazine, which is now, right. which is now archived in the Smithsonian, and, and, and Mark became a pretty well-known engineer, and he's worked on my records, and he's just a wonderful man. But the, that whole concept of why should it take so long for us to get our records out he was doing guerrilla indie music before anybody else even knew about it. He was just dropping these records every month. And so many people got their start in the Fast Folk Musical mm-hmm. Magazine. Lyle Lovett, Tracy Chapman, Sean Colvin, the names go on and on. And and um, at the same time, playing at places that no longer exist, running the Fast Folk Cafe, and I met him uh, in the Lower East Side in a place that no longer exists called Mickey's Blue Room. And uh, I remember I live around the corner from Mickey's Blue Room. Yeah, Mickey's uh, Blue Room was my first my first job as a as a music person in uh-huh. the city after college, um, working as a bar back and and hosting the open mic there. And that's how I met him. And he was just like, "You should come to my uh, you should come to this thing I do on Monday nights." And hands me a scrawled piece of paper, and I just show up. And it was all these people I'd known and some that I didn't know. And they, I brought in some song and they ripped it apart. And for some reason, I kept coming back. And I'm so glad I did. <laughs> but, but by the way, you sitting at home or riding the subway or with your uh, headphones in, I'm actually going to play something by Jack Hardy in a second mm-hmm. so you know exactly who you're talking about. But I have one final question before we, we, uh, we out, John, uh, out John Hardy as, as a, a wonderful songwriter. Is that so his theory was just write. Just right. Just right. You'll, you'll come up with 50 songs and 10 will be corkers and the other 50 you can just Frankenstein up and, and use lines in other songs that you're going to use yeah. at a later date, that kind of thing. That was the idea of Fast Folk, I guess. Just write a song. In a, like just write a song. Don't don't yeah. fix the floor for, for three and a half months right. trying, trying to, trying to uh, write Citizen Kane or anything like exactly. that. That was his idea. Right? Yeah, and of course, you know, revisions were always welcome and – but you know, there's there, there was a there was certainly a point of beating the dead horse, mm. you know. And so, if a song didn't work, a song didn't work. But he would. That's that's pretty much it, and that's something I've pretty much followed my my whole life. And and so, Fault Line, for instance, the song we just heard of mine is a song that Neil and I wrote over a period of two or three days, um, this spring, and we record we made that recording in one day, and then. Um, and then a couple of other wonderful uh, 
performers Craig Aiken and Jagoda added bass and drums to it. My friend Matt Nakoa um, played uh, Hammond and, and electric guitar. It's one of the few songs that we've recorded that I haven't played lead guitar on. It's kind of nice. I'm only playing <laughs> I'm only playing acoustic guitar and, and mandolin only and yeah. singing. But yeah, that song that song just came out of maybe you know just like a couple of songwriting sessions and a whole bunch of coffee. And that's to me is 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 the essence of what folk music should be. It should be timely. That song is yeah. certainly about earthquakes and and whatnot. But it's also there's something in it that's that's also for me that's timeless. And that's just something that I try to strive to in in any song that I write and mm-hmm. and um and and a lot of that comes from the lessons I've I learned from Jack. And a lot of the a lot of that comes from just my own personal taste and yeah. growing up listening to 45s and doing whatever it is i do and and so so not exactly pink floyd that spent eight months getting a kick drum sound or anything like that no just get it out there no. <laughs> <laughs> well let's play jack hardy because we've been talking about it yeah, for a long just... time and, and i'm sure i'm sure that well we have to play him now um so what uh memphis do you want to do you want to set this up? This Why is, you pick Memphis? Um, this is this song is really quirky, um, and for Jack especially, he's he. This is one of those rare songs he wrote on the road, and he wrote it in Memphis when he was on the road and just looking up, looking at the ceiling of this hotel room, or at least that's what he told me. And it became a staple of the songs we played together, and. Um, it's just mysterious and beautiful and strange. And at the same time, it, it paints a picture without you quite knowing what's going on. And yet it's very specific. Mm. So I think it's a pretty good example. And it, it opens his album Noir, which I think, I believe, was released in 2008 or 2010. So he came up with this staring at a ceiling lying in a Memphis motel? Yeah, something like that. I love it. All right. Uh, the, the late, great Jack Hardy. And here it is, Memphis.
Christmas moonlight, cryptic letters on the door. Grateful to a deity has given me my voice and left me speechless. Turned a salty pillar. Jack Hardy, godfather to a whole crew of singer-songwriters. Um, the last time I saw him play, uh, and now I can't remember the year that he passed, but it was a year that he passed, and he played at a place called Banjo Jim. Banjo Jim was a very good friend of mine. But um, uh, And he had this line, this land is our land because your land is gone. And mm. that just knocked me. <laughs> that just knocked me off my feet. In case you have just tuned in, you are 34 minutes, 49 seconds, 50 seconds actually, into sitting with Jan Luca here at Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, sitting with me is Mia Byrne. Hello. Yep, hello. <laughs> and also, I have to say, Radio Free Brooklyn is Radio Free Brokeline. We have no money. Our light bulbs flicker. Uh, so if you have any jingly jangly in your pockets whatsoever, please, we have donate buttons all over the website. Uh, it's Radio Free Brooklyn slash donates. Every show has, there, there's a whole bunch of ways that you can help keep our lights on. Um, we're also a 50, I get the numbers confused. What is it? Well, what is it, Mia? 501c3. Thank you very much. Uh, 501c3. So you get your money back. Woo. And it's tax deductible. Tax de <laughs> yes, exactly. Tax, facts, and, uh, and, and, and it comes back. Um, so, so please, we, nothing is too small. Certainly nothing is too big. If you don't have any shrapnel in your pocket, by all means, tell a friend, hit us on our like, like us, like us, tell a friend, get more people involved, download the app. We have an app also that you can download. We really have a bet and, and we have a benefactor, which I'm going to tell you right now, Emmy Bottle. And the ME bottle is a double insulated, reusable stainless steel bottle, disinfects water in 60 second cycle, cycle utilizing UVC LED technology and is 99.99 effective against E. coli. Single charge via micro USB lasts up to 30. God, 30 days. Holy smokes. Uh, and the LED display lets you know when water is ready to drink. Join us in bringing clean water to all. Uh, yeah, we need clean water, actually, because everything's... Because fracking's, like, screwed it all up for us. Um, 
yeah, so there you go. M-E-Bottle.com. So, uh, uh, back to it sitting with me is Mia Byrne here at Sitting with Jan Luca. And uh, I don't know, you're holding a guitar and stuff. So, uh, what, do what, do you, what do you think that means? Do you think you should, like, try and see if it works? Like, let's, let's sing a song it. or something? Yeah. There you go. Sounds like a plan. Um, I wrote this song for a friend of mine who passed away um, last year. Um, um, who they they struggled really hard to. They just, but they woke up every day and they just did their life right till the end, and that's kind of what this song is about. It'll probably be one of the singles on my next record. So. Forsaken of, but with that kind of love, you get stretched so thin. Your body's threadbare every day. You still begin. Sometimes I hold distance down. Racking up miles doesn't mean I don't want you around. What do you do? can't bend Your body's threadbare Every day you still begin Every day Every day Every day you still begin Every day Every day Every day you still begin Every day Every day You still begin So much to hold Sitting here with Jan Luca, Mia Byrne. 
Thank you. Sitting with me today here at Radio Free Brooklyn. Oh, and, uh, thank you. That was, yes, <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> I guess in the interest of full disclosure, we can say we have a history, right? We do. We do have a history. When, when, when I, oh, and I should give a shout out to Resonance FM in, in London. Hi, London Town. Hi, London Town. This goes out on Resonance FM Sunday, 6 p.m. So hello, Resonance FM. And uh, because... Ooh, you have a better memory than me. But pre-transition, you were my guest. Absolutely. In 2004, February of 2004, um, I I sat in on your on your show, and it was a fun time. And uh, that was like even before MySpace and everything. Yeah. I, and we completely lost touch for many years. And we had such a good time on that show, and I remember it very well. And it had, I believe, it was it was recorded and rebroadcast because I remember. It was the first time I'd ever heard my music on the actual airwaves. Ah, really? Yeah, I, I remember being in my friend's place in um, uh, in Islington like a few days later when the show was broadcast, or maybe it was rebroadcast. I don't remember quite how it worked, but I and I'm just like, oh my god, it's my music being played on the radio in London. I was like 20, 24, 25. It was just, uh, we were just babies then, Gianluca. We were just babies there, Mia. <laughs> and, and then, and then we ran into each other. Funnily enough, I believe uh, you, uh, you were bartending. I, I was bartending, downtown, and I was drinking. And you were drinking. How about that? And we were eating tacos, and we just caught up with each other, and realized you'd moved to the city. We had a ton of mutual friends. Yeah. And, and so it's an, it's it's been a nice little reunion, and I'm so grateful that you asked me to be on today. This is super fun. I'm thrilled. So wait, so wait, tell me. I popped your cherry on the radio. Oh, was yeah. that the first time? Um, I well, that was the first time I'd been on major broadcast radio. I'd been on <gasps> I'd been on WGDR up in up in um, up in Vermont uh, when I was a kid. My friend ran the college radio station up there. Um, but yeah, that was really the first time I'd really been on the radio. It was the first song any of uh, first time any of my recorded music had been on the radio, and uh, it was really it was really fantastic. Oh my goodness! I did not know that. I'm yeah. so I'm I'm so honored. Yeah, oh. it was like you, and there was another there was another fellow that I, I was on their show too, and I can't remember. Oh, yeah, but you didn't play music on their show. I don't think. I have no idea what I did on that show. <laughs> I, have a, I, have, I remember that show, but you didn't play music. <gasps> my goodness! I was your first. Yes, yes, you were. Well, kind darling, of, kind darling, of. Darling. Yeah, oh my goodness! Well, That's very good. Very good. Very good. <laughs> But but is there so is there a, a, a can you tell me a little bit about the transgender folk scene? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, let me ask you a, a, a different question, sure. and and then we can move to that. Did your songwriting change? Uh, uh, how did your tra- songwriting change pre-transition and post-transition, or did it change at all? Um, I think for me, my songwriting itself. Thank my songwriting itself didn't. Um, oh, we're just a mess in here, <laughs> dropping things left and right. It's great. This is this is real, folks. This is this is real live radio. This is live radio. This um, is what happens. Um, I think what really changed is what I wanted to say. I felt like a veil had been lifted. And what's interesting is that I can look back at my music pre-transition and see how I was trying to come out within my music because that was always the purest thing right my music was always the thing that i felt was closest to my heart so there are songs that i've written in my previous bands that i can look back at and say oh wow that was 
that was me telling myself something. That was this, that was that. And those are songs that I, I still play often or I talk about them. And I think what's different now is because I, because I came out I, and realized myself, I think I wound up writing songs that are still in the vein of the songs that I wrote before. Certainly they're rock, Americana, folky, whatever. But, and this also has to do with the, the my cohort and, and having written songs for many years is that they're more political, they're more topical. Um, and sometimes they're more about me in a different way. Um, like I have a song called American Dream, which is on my band camp. Um, that's, it's a, it's commentary on gun violence, but and it's also talking about um, because as a trans woman, I'll wake up uh, on a near daily basis, and somebody will have been attacked or hurt or God forbid killed. And as you know, there's an epidemic of violence worldwide against trans women, specifically trans women of color, and um, and. So that's what that song is about. But there's a line in the song. It's like, I spent my whole life working. I spent my whole life trying, you know, to find what wasn't easy to find. And, you know, and yet these American mores and things dictate what, how we're supposed to act or what we're supposed to do. And, of course, in the U.K., there's a, there's a huge fight about, uh, about gender that's really directed a lot of hatred towards trans women specifically and... Um, and it's very it's 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 pretty messed up and and but to have the freedom and wherewithal to be an out and open person has given me the perspective of being able to look at things from a whole different direction there's a there's a meme that goes around every once in a while it's like the first year you come out you're like oh i feel so good and i'm just you know i'm like really you know everything's going to be great the second year you're like oh i lost my friends and it's harder to get a job and then by the third year the the, the panel is like a girl with a with an anarchy shirt holding up her middle fingers <laughs> well, you know, that's pretty much what happened to me you got like a, a camouflage pants and a beret yeah, well i am literally wearing a beret right now oh you are actually yes <laughs> <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, is that um, because I'm one of the few trans uh, trans people who had a career before their transition, who came out publicly and um, by the grace of the goddess was able to keep my career, um, I've been the first at a lot of things. I've been, you know, and this is not to brag, it's just to say that I... I wind up being the first person who, to do X, Y, Z thing. I'm the first person a lot of people have met who has transitioned in their presence in, from my folk core cohort. I'm, mm. I was one of the first trans women to play the SF Dyke March. Um, I've, I've, I've done a lot of things that made me the first. And there's, it's, it's, there's, we're emerging into a time where I'm not the first person to do anything. And that's making me really happy because as much as you know one could one could say oh you know notoriety and whatever I'm, I'm not doing this for notoriety the reason that I chose to be out and to talk about my transition and to talk about trans lives is because I want people to know the truth of trans lives and I think I have an interesting perspective obviously but it's also my job as a person of relative privilege and who you know, who is white, who 
to amplify the voices of those who don't have the same opportunities I do. And, you know, some people will call me up and be like, hey, do you want to do this thing? I'll be like, you know who I want you to call? You should call up this person. You should call up blah, 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 blah. And I'm not saying that I'm, you know, everybody should be doing that for for other people. I mean, literally, you know, give black trans women all of your money right now. Mm -hmm. The money that you're not giving to... (laughs) Radio Free Brooklyn, of course. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but but that, that being said, yes. Because we give a voice, actually, to black, I to know. black trans women. So I know you do. It's a, <laughs> and it's it's really wonderful and important what the work that you're doing and just being here and talking and whoever's mm-hmm. listening is, it's, 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 that's important to me. And so I, I know that's a bit of a long answer to the, to the, to the question, all. but the, that's, that's really the truth of the matter is, is that those of us who, and there are plenty of people like Joe Stevens and Ray Spoon, who are the people who helped, you know, inspire me to come out. And Joe Stevens is another one of those folks who came out um, while he was in a, a pretty successful band, Coyote Grace. And and when you transition in in the middle of a career, it's it's frightening, it's daunting, especially. I mean, now it's different. It's starting to change quite a bit, but it's still frightening for, for a lot of people. And, you know, I'm here for a lot of people. I'm, I'm saying, okay, well, my life is, certainly isn't easy, and I go through a lot of struggle, but I wouldn't change it at this point. This is this this is what I this is what I'm here for. So, so were you are you are you one of the first um, in the folk in the music or folk world that uh, transitioned? Um, I wouldn't have been the first if. Um, and I'm not, and I'm not going to out yeah, yeah. certain people that I do know who who are. Um, or the first maybe out. I'm one of the first out trans yeah, yeah. transgender women in in the mainstream folk world. Oh, congratulations! Thank you very much. Um, and but but Dave Carter was trans and okay. and was transitioning at the time that Dave died. Um, and and was planning on coming out and doing a whole thing and. And and sadly passed away after that tour in 2002 with Joan Baez. They were going to come out, and Dave was going to go away and come back as and 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 never got the chance to to transition. And oftentimes in our folk scene, um, I talk about Dave a lot um, because there's been a lot of erasure around mm-hmm. Dave's life and about Dave's trans life and. So, I mean, Dave is super important to me as a musician and important to the folk scene at large, especially in the Northeast. Um, but, um, yeah, I do, a lot of, I, I do a lot of these things because, you know, Dave, Dave didn't get the chance to, and I've been on some of the same stages Dave has, and it's kind of... Wow. One of one of the hugest honors of my life. You, you know, I have to say, oh, we're running out of time. Uh, uh, Sammy's just here. Teens take the mic. We'll be up in eight minutes. Um, but I want to say, just actually, I want to give a plug to uh, Up Yours, which is a show on Radio Free Brooklyn on Sundays, hosted by DJ Defiance, uh, eight PM, um, where she plays exclusively um, queer punk and transgender. Uh, music and uh, etc and uh, I just want to give a big up um, as we're running out of time do you have a you are still holding your guitar do you want to do like a quickie song and I'll play out with something we'll say our goodbyes sure time runs really fast you know you know what happens yeah 
Time flies like an arrow. Fruit flies like a banana. All right, yeah, I shall. I shall. <laughs> Brilliant wisdom. That was, that was, Take that to the bank. <laughs> I, I, I will. I will. All right. Well, this is a song about New York. Um, okay. And it's called Wide River. With the cattails tall as your head You better not get caught in the mud I will leave you gone for dead The tide comes in you'll be splashing When the waves come up to your knees But you better not mess with the wide, wide river It's gonna leave you begging safe when the water's low and the bugs come buzzing up high around your head you walk through the bushes that's when you're gonna die and it sure looks pretty when the sun sinks low the rays turn pink in the trees but you better not mess with the wide wide river it's gonna leave you begging Show you no mercy, stronger than you'll ever be. All it wants is to sweep you away from the gulf to the sea. Most folks who go down don't come back when the surge ends, but find them washed out. Don't watch your step, you'll be next in line. Don't you even have one doubt when the bastard tide comes around for you? It ain't no kind of a tease where you with the wide, wide river It's gonna leave you begging please. When the sun turns pink in the trees It's gonna bring you to your Holy smokes, that made my knees quiver. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. You're listening to Sitting with Gianluca here at Radio. If you've just tuned in, you've just missed actually Sitting with Gianluca here at Radio Free Brooklyn. Sitting with me has been Mia Byrne. Good God, that's a good song. Holy smokes. Yeah. Uh, let me just say, Sammy's just come in from Teams Take the Mic. You can bring your laptop up here and start setting it up. While, while, while. This is how we do uh, changeovers here, live radio here at Radio Free Brooklyn. Sammy is going to step over me and start setting up while I am going to start playing out with the song. You all right, Sammy? You good? You ready? So so swing behind me and you do your thing and uh, I'll start easing off out of your way. But right there. We should spell my name because it's spelled unconventionally. It's M-Y-A-B-Y-R-N-E, M-Y-A-B-Y-R-N-E dot com. Uh, thank you so much for having me here today, Gianluca. Yeah, so what's your... Um Website, uh, how do we get in touch with you? It's well, I guess that. It's miaburn.com okay. or on Facebook, on YouTube, Spotify, and uh, yeah. That's- Should you want more of me, 
Jan Luca. Uh, my Instagram account is uh, sitting with GT. I love hearing from you. I reply to everything. I love friends. Please like me because I have. Uh, I like uh, you. Thank you. <laughs> Next week, I have to say, I'm very, very, very proud. Next week, Michelle Shocked, the legendary, semi legendary, the veteran uh, folk singer Michelle Shocked, is doing the first interview in many, many years uh, here, here on Radio Free Brooklyn. It's an amazing thing. She's really up for it. She might even play a couple of songs. I'm going to now sign off. I want to thank you hugely for listening to me you could have been doing anything right now but you chose to listen to me and mia uh talk and i am uber grateful for that so thank you if you want more of me next wednesday 6 p.m here at radiofreebrooklyn.com and i am gonna sit sign off with michelle shocked who is gonna be my guest next week if love was a train Yeah, if love was a train, I'd throw my body right down on the train.